I do want to uh, teach on something that some of us don't like, all right? So I'm just kind of sliding this in. Um, your flesh might not like this message, and if it doesn't, let me just remind you, that's a good thing, not a bad thing, right? Uh, and here's why it's good. When, you, when my flesh is upset, the spirit of the living God is always pleased. The two, they look at everything exactly the opposite way. So if your flesh gets upset at all, okay, just remember the God of the universe has a huge smile on his face as you squirm through this whole message, okay? Here's what we're talking about this weekend. Change. Change. Let's take a quick poll, all right? On its merit, how many of us love change? You just embrace it when it happens. Put your hand up high so we can judge you all. Okay, put your hands down. How many of us hate change? Ha, 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 ha. You're going to hate this message then. Uh, and I'm sorry, but I didn't come up with it. So it, it is uh, what it is. Change is something that is normal in our everyday lives. If you just think for a moment through all of the changes you've experienced in your life, Think about how long it would take to try and write down every change you've ever been through. See, our minds go to the big ones, right? Not to all of them, just the really, really big ones. Like the, the change, you know, that my mind goes to. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be drinking this a lot. Uh, the, the change my mind immediately goes to is the change from Dallas to Phoenix. It was one of the hardest changes I've ever gone through in my life. Uh, I'm sure if you ask my wife, what's the biggest change you've ever gone through? She would probably say, uh, marrying Preston. It was the biggest change I've ever gone through in my life. Uh, how about those of us who have children? You sleep really well, and then that first night, you realize, not just are you not gonna sleep for the next 20 plus years, but you're also not really going to be about yourself for the next two decades of your life, right? Life is filled with change. How you walk through change, in my opinion, is determined by how you see change. And part of what I want to do in this message using scripture is to calibrate all of our hearts and minds and how we see change. This year for our church has been filled with changes. And honestly, I didn't see most of them coming. I truthfully just thought the second we moved from Gateway Scottsdale to Pillar Church that it was just putting a new name above the door. I didn't know God, thank you for that giggle. I, I feel like that's how God, every time I say that out loud, God giggles like that. And it's like, <laughs> no. I think part of the reason I didn't see him coming is sometimes as followers of Jesus, we act like change is something that is just supposed to happen every once in a while. But one of the things I'm learning as I get older is the closer you walk to him, the more unpredictable things are going to be. And what is one of the most unpredictable things on the planet? Change. Because we don't know how it's going to go, right? That's why many of us hate change. Many of us would rather have something bad we know. What's that saying? Better the devil you know, right? Many of us would rather just stay where we are even if that's in Egypt. This is what the, the children of Israel said. 
we would rather go back to what we knew than keep going having no idea what's next. But you will see throughout Scripture that the men and women that God used most, whose lives are recorded in Scripture, oftentimes were the most comfortable with the biggest changes. So let's talk about change. The title of this message is When Everything Changes. Three questions we're going to answer. See how I just slid that right in there? I I asked you, do you like change? And then the title is, When Everything Changes, because that's the, the fear most people have, that everything would change. Three questions, here's the first question. Why must we experience change? Two answers to this question, here's the first one. Change is an inescapable part of life. Life brings as many changes as the clock does. Wait, just to think about that for a second. Just look at your watch if you have one on. Change, 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 change. Yet how many of us wake up every morning expecting change, 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 change? We don't. We don't. And I think if we look at change this way, we are actually throttling ourselves back from being able to fully be used by God. Change is an inescapable part of life. Ephesians, uh, Ecclesiastes, listen, I have absolute brain fog tonight, and I, I, I just about said Ephesians 3. I started to say it. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If I say something that sounds heretical, just chalk it up to brain fog, okay? I I don't intend to, okay? Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one, says for everything, there is a season. For how many things? Everything. For everything, there is a season. A time for every activity under heaven. And if you know this chapter, it goes on to just go down a list, a time to be born, a time to die. It goes through an extremely long list of many of life's changes, which we all go through. As long as God desires to do more through you, he will continue to cause change around you and ask for change from you. Take it as a compliment. Every time God asks for change, It's a compliment. Want to know why the verse, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, is so comforting to so many people? Because when you're in change and everything feels unpredictable, it's comforting to be reminded of the fact that the change we're going through is being seen by, overseen by the sovereign one who never changes. He knows the plans. You don't. You might wake up tomorrow morning and all of life changes. The job changes. A relationship changes. A part of provision changes. 
Change is an inescapable part of life. So here's my question. Why do so many of us run from it? We're going get, to get to that fully in point number two, trust me. And it's going to be a squirmer, a squeamish one. But the more comfortable you get with change, the more anointed you will be in change. But you will never be anointed in change as long as you're annoyed by change. If I would have asked you at the beginning of this, how many of us, if change is an inescapable part of life, how many of us want to be anointed as we go through change? Probably all of us would have raised our hands. Here's the problem. I can't be anointed in change if I'm always annoyed by change. Have you ever noticed how you personally immediately deal with change in your mind? Have you ever thought about this? Like what is your immediate thought every time you're confronted with a new change? Is it that things are going to get better or things are going to get worse? You don't have to say it out loud. I think the reason many of us run from change is without realizing it, many of us think things are always going to get worse with change. That's a part of immaturity. You live long enough walking with the Lord, you see time and time again his faithfulness through every change. Do I want every change? No. When I was in high school and I thought I was going to marry the girl of my dreams at the time, I told the Lord, this is the girl I'm going to marry. And then she doesn't even break up with me and I find out she's engaged to somebody else. You love that story, don't you? You knew I was going to tell it. People laugh when I tell this story. Yeah. She broke up with me. She didn't even break up with me. She got engaged. That at the time was the worst change I had ever experienced. You know, now looking back at that, it's one of the most important and best changes I've ever navigated in my life. Because had I not navigated that change, I would not be able to fall asleep at night with the woman I am obsessed with. But you know what I actually said to my mother at the kitchen table that night? I am never falling in love again. <laughs> There's another way to say it. I'm never putting myself in a situation where I have to go through change like this again. That's how immaturity talks. If change is coming, that means it can only be bad. Question, if a good God is involved in change, how can change always be bad? Let me give you a different way to see change. When God asks for change, he is saying, there's something I want to do in you, through you, and for you, which cannot be done if things stay the way they are, and if you stay the way you are, right where you are. Let that settle in. When God comes to say, Preston, I'm changing something. If my first thought isn't, what? What's about to go down? There's something you want to do in me, through me, and for me that could not be done if we don't walk through this change together. And some of you are all right now in your hearts. I can tell by the look on your face. Get thee behind me, Satan. I will never embrace change, Preston. Okay, let me ask a really silly 
Question, is that how you approach going to the bathroom? That's a change. You gonna hold it in? And if you do, how's that gonna go? See how my brain thinks when I'm not feeling well? When was the last time you had to go to the bathroom and you held it for four straight weeks? Never, because you understand that going to the bathroom is an inescapable part of life. You don't even think twice when you need to experience it. That's how we should see change. It's just like going to the bathroom. It's gonna happen several times a day. And as you get older, many times a day. I took a road trip yesterday, I was driving for six hours, and I used to be the guy who could literally take a 20-hour road trip and not go in to go to the bathroom. I took a six-hour round trip road trip yesterday. I am not exaggerating. I stopped and went to the bathroom five times. <laughs> Do you see change the same way you see needing to use a restroom? When was the last time you got freaked out about going to the bathroom? You don't, because you're fully aware it's just a part of everyday life. So is change. Here's the second reason we must experience change. Change is a mandatory, it is mandatory for multiplication. Genesis chapter two, verse 24, the second uh, perspective account of the creation of man and woman says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is describing one of the biggest changes in life. Chapter one, verse 28, after God created man and woman, he said this, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. How many of you have ever experienced a change that going into it you thought was going to be terrible and on the other side of it, it was one of the most incredible things? I love it. You know what that reminds us all of? That we can be wrong. You know one of my favorite things to be in my relationship with God? Wrong. Because every time I'm wrong, when it comes to things like this, it's an Ephesians 3 moment. Oh God, I think it's gonna go like this. Every time I talk like that, I think he says back, silly child exceedingly abundantly above everything, anything you could ever ask for or even imagine, Preston. When you go into change, you should be giddy. Listen, every child of God should get excited when God brings a change that God is not just initiating, but committed to be in. We should be giddy. We should get excited. because part of what comes with change is multiplication. One of the changes that I was probably, as a dad, um, most worried about was when my only daughter moved out of the house. Uh, I was afraid uh, deep down that she, I would never talk to her, uh, that I would hardly see her, that she was just gonna get out and just, just go. You know what I've learned since she left several years ago? I've talked to that child more in the last three years since she left 
than all, what, 18 years when she lived under my roof? She calls me multiple times a day. If I would have known it was gonna be this amazing, I would have kicked her out at 12. <laughs> it just brought so many new things to my life. And it's these moments where we go into it thinking, I know how this is gonna go. Do you know how arrogant that is? God, I know how this is gonna go and it's not gonna go well. One of the things that is going to happen by my daughter leaving our home is multiplication. Grandbabies, great-grandbabies, great-great-grandbabies, great-great-great-grandbabies, great-great-great-great-grandbabies. It's called legacy, but listen to me. If I would have held her like this, if I hold all my children like this, I'm not just playing with their future, I'm playing with our legacy. One of the biggest changes we ever see in Scripture, we see in Genesis 1. God says, listen, there's a really big reason why one leaves their father and mother's home. Multiplication. Preston, I have a plan for my kingdom to invade the whole earth. And that's going to require multiplication. Change is mandatory if you ever want to experience multiplication. Here's the second question. Why do we hate change? Why do we hate it? I want you to think about this scenario. Let's say on Saturday nights, we have a, a pizza restaurant that we go to every Saturday night. It's our family dinner, a kind of special outside of the house night. The kids love it. It's their favorite pizza. What would happen if tonight after the service, we went to that restaurant and as we sat down, we don't even ask for the menus. We don't need them. We order the same thing every time. Now, the second they see us walk in, they go ahead and start making our pizzas. What would happen if tonight we sat down at the table and the server came and said, hey, great to see you guys. Got some great news tonight. We no longer make pizza. Okay, if that was you, what would be the next words out of your mouth? Let me ask you this, would the first words out of your mouth be, that's amazing? Or would they be slightly antagonistic? If not, at least ask a few questions. You're a pizza restaurant. You no longer make pizza? We're out of here. And how many of us would get up and leave? I'm out. You don't make my favorite pizza anymore? I'm gone. That's why I've been coming here every week for all these years. I'm out. And we would leave before they would even tell us what they're making now. And what if my favorite food in the world is lasagna? And if I would have stuck around to see what they're making now, I would have heard them say, our great-great-grandmother was legendary for lasagna. And we're no longer making pizza because our lasagna is 10 times better than our pizza. But if my philosophy is all change is bad, the second they tell me we don't make your favorite thing anymore, I'm out. 
Why do we hate change so much? Two reasons, and you're probably not going to like them. Here's the first one. Because we covet comfort. Webster's defines comfort like this. Remember a couple weeks ago, I gave you Webster's definition of mercy and grace, and it sounded more biblical than the Bible. Not so much this weekend. Webster defines comfort like this. Providing physical ease and relaxation, free from stress or fear. Okay, this is not the biblical definition of comfort I want you to know. This is the flesh's definition of comfort, not the spirit's. When God wants you to grow, here's what he does. He makes you uncomfortable. Comfort never produces growth. My comfort is not God's concern because my comfort cannot grow his kingdom. Believers were never meant to live in comfort. Want to know how we know? The Holy Spirit. Parakletos. And one of the meanings of this word is comforter. Question, why would we need a comforter if we were always comfortable? Just think about that one for a sec. Why would we even need a comforter if we were always comfortable? This is why I think God loves to put us in very uncomfortable situations. Because when I feel uncomfortable, what is my wisest move? To chase the comforter. I need your comfort right now. Scripture says he's the God of all comfort. When is the God of all comfort a really wonderful one to walk with when things are uncomfortable? Why don't we embrace discomfort more here's why because we like to play to the flesh and so we seek to live lives which revolve around comfort well what decision are you going to make we never say it like this the comfortable one. You know what we do when we know we're making the comfortable decision? We over-explain it. Well, I just, this opportunity over here, and it's, no, no, just say it. It's the comfortable choice. The worst choices I've made when it comes to life decisions are decisions I made with comfort in mind. The men and women God used the most in Scripture were always extremely comfortable with being excruciatingly uncomfortable. What was Noah like as the people mocked him? He just kept moving forward. We don't see him uncomfortable at all in the uncomfortable. How about Daniel? as he walked in the opposite direction of everyone in the day. 
How about Esther? Did she embrace comfort or put herself on the front line in such a way it could have cost her her life? Hoping she might be used by God to save an entire nation. You can't save a nation from your couch. Change always brings a measure of uncomfortableness. Comfortable Christians are like pilots who always use autopilot. Psalm 23 verse 4 gives us a picture of comfort. The biblical definition of comfort means to come alongside to give aid in time of need. Psalm 23 verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Have you ever noticed that that verse does not say even if? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, God. Yeah, but what about my being with you? Do you enjoy so much? Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Such a fascinating verse. Why do the rod and staff comfort? Because the rod and the staff are part of what's used to beat down the enemy. See, I love it when God talks like this. I love it when he divinely inspires humans to talk about him like this. God, even when I go through the worst parts of my life, you are with me and you comfort me. When was the last time you went through really difficult change and were more focused on God's presence with you and his bringing comfort to you than you were with all the annoying details of the change you didn't want? When was the last time you went through a change you didn't want to go through and asked the Lord, how can I look at this differently? Because I know you're not frustrated with this change the way I am. You're seeing something I'm not seeing. If we covet comfort, we will always run from change. Here's the second reason we hate change, because we crave control. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, I'd like to personalize, Preston, you can make many plans, but understand this, it's the Lord's purpose which will prevail. I don't know if you've ever tried to control anything before. Anybody ever attempted that? Yeah. Should we have an open mic and talk about the testimony of what it goes, how it goes when we try and control things? When we try and act like the sovereign one? Some of the most embarrassing stories in my life were moments in my life where I tried to control everything. Three elements, or kind of wise, parts of craving control. First, thinking we know better than God. Second, a selfish desire for things to go our way. And here's the biggie. Third, a fear of what might happen if things don't go the way we want. 
You know, one of the things that comforts me most during change, that the God of the universe is not seated on the throne asking questions like this. But what if? But what if this happens? But what if this does? You know, God has never said, but what if ever before. And here's how you know, because he knows the end from the beginning. How many of you, when you woke up this morning, knew exactly how your day was going to go? Please put your hand up so we can do whatever you say. No one knew how today was going to go, right? I had no idea I was going to wake up and my throat was going to be on fire this morning. I had no idea that about 2 o'clock, my knees would start to feel like I was 30 years older than I am. I didn't know. Okay, question. Why would someone who doesn't know the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, ever think it would be wise to control his day? And yet we do it all the time. Why? Because we think we know better. But bigger than that, deep down, we're actually afraid if I don't control things. What might happen if things don't go the way I want will be much worse than anything that could happen if I control. We crave control. Preston, how do you know we crave control? Ever ridden in the car and shotgun with another driver before? How many of you never say a word? How many of you can't help but give instruction? That's a control issue. Well, no, Preston, I'm a better driver, but you're not driving. They are. We could go down a really long list. I want to know one of the reasons I sleep better now than I did when I was 25. I gave up control a long time ago. When I became a senior pastor, honestly, at first, I thought I would have more control. Know what I learned very quickly? I had less control as a senior pastor than I did as an associate pastor. That's how it goes if you're doing the Christian life right. You're not in control. He is. And I remember the day when I felt the Lord in our time alone together say, it's time for you to send Cody and Carrie away. I remember when I told several people who were part of the church at the time, they thought I was an absolute lunatic. That was a change nobody wanted. But I knew it was a change God was asking for. Well, Preston, did everything go amazing for you and for Cody after the change? It went amazing for Cody and Carrie. Our attendance went down 40%. It took several years to rebuild. Preston, then how can you say change is good when God has a smile on his face? I'm good with it. I may not like it. I may not have chosen it. But if he is pleased with it, 
I've decided I will embrace it. And here's what that requires. No more control. A Christian is not allowed to control. We're bond servants. We work for the one who has all power and has never been out of control and will never be out of control. That's what it means to be sovereign. But one of the reasons we hate change is because we crave control. Here's the third question. How do we best handle change? I'm going to work in an order that was opposite of the way I studied this week. Just because it's the, the direction I felt the Lord asked us to go as we finish up this message. First way to best handle change, get excited about what is yet to come. Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. But forget all of that. What's that? Everything the people of Israel had seen him do to that point. He's not literally saying, never remember it again. He's speaking in comparison. Watch what he says. That is nothing compared to what I am about to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun it. Do you not see it? And here's the answer to that question. Most of us do not see what God is up to when he is on the move. This is how he talks in the midst of change. I didn't know this is what he was saying when I, when I was upstairs in my bedroom in the home I grew up in, and I was getting ready to come out here to go to college, and I was crying my eyes out, scared to death to leave home, and, and telling the Lord, I don't want to go to Phoenix. I had no idea what was in store for me. Had I have known what I know now, you know what I would have done that night? Thrown a party. But I was lamenting. I wasn't excited about what was yet to come. And here's why. Because I assumed if it's not known, it must be bad. And so I wept that night when I should have thrown a party. I'm about to meet the girl of my dreams. I'm about to spend four years before God calls me back to Dallas for 13 years. I'm going to get to spend four years on the soil of the place. God's going to let me serve the bulk of my life serving. I'm going to see God do miraculous things in the area of provision that I never saw coming as a 19-year-old boy. But you know what? In my bedroom that night, I bought the lie of the enemy that what was coming had to be bad. And I've learned when God initiates change, get excited about what's about to happen. There's something he's going to do which you do not see coming. First way to best navigate change, get excited about what's coming. There's beauty in change. New seasons bring new beauty, unless you're bitter about the changes. And if you're bitter, you won't benefit from the beauty. Here's the second thing. Celebrate what was. Get excited about what's going to be. Celebrate what was. 
Typically, in the midst of change, when we think about what was, we go one of two directions, idols or memorials. We idolize or we memorialize. How do you know you are celebrating something from the past as you go through change, letting go of it? You hold on so tightly to it, you esteem it so highly that you refuse to let go of it. You worship it. You think your life will be nothing without it. But here's what godly celebration looks like. Remember what God said to Joshua and the Israelites? When you go through the Jordan, I want every tribe to grab a rock. And you're going to build a memorial. And your children one day are going to ask, what, are, what is that collection of rocks? And here's what I want you to tell them when they ask you. I want you to walk them through one of the scarier times of change in your life. And tell them what happened on the other side of that river. The land of the promise. God didn't just part the waters of the Jordan the way he parted the waters of the Red Sea. What was on the other side of the water was the reason we made the entire journey. When you celebrate the past, which direction do you go? Do you idolize it? Or do you memorialize it? My daughter, who just got into town a couple hours ago, uh, she was texting Holly and me this week homemade videos of her when she was three years old. When I saw the videos, there was no grieving. There was no, I wish we were back there. I enjoyed those days, not nearly as much as these. Because I couldn't sit down with that three-year-old and have some of the conversations that we get to have now. I celebrate what was. And I have pictures of her when she was three that serve as memorial stones of the faithfulness of God. But I don't idolize. Preston, what's one of the ways you know you idolize the past? You treat your 30-year-old like a three-year-old in this instance. You're so unwilling to embrace change. They've been out of your house for a decade and a half. And when they come back to the house, you still talk to them like they were six. That's idolizing a day that has long since passed. Here's what disappoints when we're in that situation. We are so fixated on what was, we can't enjoy what is. So celebrate what was. Every time you go through change, celebrate what was. Then here's the last thing. Grieve what no longer is. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may last through the night, but with God, joy comes in the morning. There's a moment in Scripture where Jesus talks about grief and the biggest change humanity would know to that point. 
Humanity had just gotten used to the Messiah walking the earth, ministering for the last three years. And Jesus starts talking to his disciples about the change which was coming. John 16, verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, watch this, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. Can you even imagine this change? If you were one of the disciples, you were getting to run with the Son of God. You were getting to wake up in the morning and if you had a question, you got to ask him. When you had to go through a storm, he wasn't just in your boat in a proverbial way. He was literally in the boat taking a nap. And can you imagine trying to wrap your mind around the change? How could this change be good for me? Peter might have thought. How can I celebrate this change when things have been so good? John the Beloved might have thought. And Jesus was saying, you're going to grieve. But I want to let you know, your grief won't last forever because you will understand why I did what I did. And once you understand that I did it for you, your tears of sadness will turn into tears of overwhelming gratitude. But Jesus, I don't want you to leave. I've paid the price all these years. Now we're to the good part. I don't want you to leave. Jesus says, Preston, we're going to have forever together. There are some things I must do now. And there are some things I need you to do now that are going to demand you constantly feeling like you are in a season of change. <laughs> You're not always going to understand my why. But trust me, every change I ask of you, I have a divine why. What do we do when everything changes? Here's the short answer. We trust God. 